This week's one-off, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Season 4, Episode 10, Our Man Bashir. So what do you think about holodecks? Yeah, I know, right? Like, what what the weirdest weirdest science fiction concept, I think, to be thrown into a television series yet? I don't know. I mean, it's because it, they're amazing. But I don't see how they don't just lead into madness and insanity. The thing about a holodeck is that it never matters, right? Because the whole idea of a holodeck is basically the characters are going and they're putting on a play. And so the stakes of the episode can never be that high unless something goes wrong with the holodeck. And it seems like something goes wrong with the holodeck a lot. Yeah, or, I mean, it's also a good tool for, I mean, as far as narrative storytelling, it's great to have a place where if you need your characters to be talking while climbing a mountain, you can do that. That that's true, or the the beginning of uh, whatever TNG movie it was, where they're all on a boat. Yeah, yeah, you can do that with holodecks, or having like you know you need you need uh, Worf and Dax to to be arguing while fighting in a cave. You can do that on a holodeck, so they're great uh, plot devices, right? Well, and for for a serialized television show, it's convenient. Like, especially something like science fiction, where uh, making new sets is fairly high budget. Oh, look, they're doing some spy movie. We can just reuse that set, you know, from one lot over and and have mm-hmm. our episode take place in it. So, Yeah. Yeah, but I, I just still don't understand how, it, if we actually had holodecks, how people would not just go mad. Like, wouldn't you, isn't that like you go into a room and anything you, like, your fantasies are real. Like, they're not in your head anymore. They're actually, like, real, and you play them out. It's like, wouldn't that get, send you into some kind of weird, like, like you'd never want to leave, or you, like, why would why would you leave ever? And uh, uh, not to mention identity crisis. Like, is this a real person? Am I a real person? Maybe I'm in a holodeck. Like, I don't know. Just I just feel like people would go insane more often in a Star Trek universe. If holodecks existed, I, I think holodeck addiction would would definitely be a thing. Like there would be. Ho- it's called it's called holodiction. <laughs> that's that's both ridiculous and and true. <laughs> and they never deal with that in the show, do they? Like they never they never have somebody who loves the fantasy more than Whoa. the reality. Yeah, they did. It, it was a TNG episode. Uh, it wasn't DS9. It was uh, Berkeley. Oh, right. Yeah. Bark, Barkley. 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 And he had a holodeck addiction. And they did deal with it in one episode. Uh, and he created, like, again, though, he created, like, fictional versions of real people in the holodeck that he talked to and, like, had fantasies with and stuff. And it's like, that is madness. Like, you are, like, that is insane. It is. And I mean, like one of the one of the things that they don't like they touch up against on the show a little bit, but they never fully, fully really invest in it is how completely weird relationships with human beings would get after that. Because if you're entirely living this fantasy with lifelike simulacra of the people around you, you would 
you would cease to really engage with reality in any meaningful way. You'd sometimes maybe forget that the Bashir you're talking to isn't actually the Bashir that you, you know, had this long, intricate relationship with in the holodeck. It's just the doctor that you see once every couple of weeks. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's it's such a weird concept. But But again, like in television land, it's great. It works so wonderfully to tell stories and have fun. But if I, if you think about like what would really happen if there was holodecks, it would I would fall apart. I don't I, I, like imagine like see how many people fall into like World of Warcraft nowadays, and get like addicted to that game and fall into this fictional universe. The holodeck is like a billion times more real than that. Yeah, and in in the context of like the entire Trek universe, there aren't any negative consequences for just becoming a holodeck person like they don't have an economy so what's the problem if you just decide oh i'm going to dedicate my life to reliving james bond fantasies yeah i mean it does seem like holodecks are a little more rare to come by it, it's true it's true and on deep space nine there is an economy behind it because quark makes you pay for it yeah and like i mean at the enterprise has one but but uh not most ships don't have holodecks Right. So it is like, you know, it is, I think, a treat to be able to go into a holodeck. And some people don't like them or whatever, uh, like uh, Commander Kira. But, you know, so it's not like I don't know if I could just own a holodeck if I was a human on Earth in the 25th century. When is this? Good question. 24th? Yeah. Let's say 24th. Something like that. Yeah. I don't think you could just build one in your house. Like, I think they're pretty expensive and require a lot of uh, a lot of high tech stuff even for the day yeah but i would be comfortable dedicating my entire life to getting a holodeck mm. there, there are lots of people who who invest you know thousands of dollars on on making their own great personal computers so that they can play you know be- better faster stronger games i i think holodecks would quickly turn into that like you know the uh the episode of tng i think it might have just been called the game where wesley crusher mm-hmm. is a that addicting game of yeah that he brings on the ship and everyone gets hooked on it yeah and and i think that would legitimately happen with holodecks mm-hmm. yeah i mean because you can replicate food in them mm-hmm. so you're good it's uh it's insane you can you can replicate entire relationships you're like i as far as I understand it, the constructs in the holodeck can be as basically full-fledged as you you want them to be. Well, I mean, look at Vic from later episodes of DS9, the, the, the lounge singer. Yeah. He's a program that knows he's a program. He's self-aware. Yeah. And they leave his program running forever by the end of it. <laughs> Which which gets into some really weird ethical problems as well. Like I know, right? <laughs> uh, and he like breaks out of his hollow program and gets into other. It's, it's insane. And and uh, when Nog comes home with the with PTSD and goes and lives in the hollow suite for like months. Yeah, yeah. I like I, I I think you could have an entire television series that is just rooted in the holodeck as a concept. Yeah, it's 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 amazing and terrifying all at the same time. Abs- yeah, it, it it is absolutely terrifying, and they they never really let it be as terrifying as it should be because they always rely on oh, looks like the holodeck is real this week instead of like these are the 
real-life consequences of having such a powerful piece of technology in the world. Yeah, and like, uh, I mean, to change subject a little bit here, transporter accidents are my other favorite thing uh, in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. And I think when you combine the holodeck technology and transporter accidents, you now have an infinite number of stories to tell. <laughs> um, and uh, they're, they're convenient uh, when there's a fluctuation in the plasma coil of a ship uh, and then they beam out as it explodes and now they're in this transporter accident. Like that kind of thing is, is perfect for storytelling. And I don't know, like without transporter accidents, I don't think we'd get a lot of my favorite Star Trek episodes. No, I mean, we we got two Rikers out of a transporter accident in TNG. Exactly. You know? We had in Voyager, we had uh, Nuvix. The, the combination between Tuvok and Neelix when a transporter accident fused them together into a single person. Yeah. You can get some pretty cool stories out of transporter accidents, uh, which, again, is that idea that they use this technology to tell some great stories. Uh, like, because it is the thing of, like, if there were holodecks, we'd just live in them forever. If there were transporters, I, would, I wouldn't walk anywhere. <laughs> beam, me, beam me to the bridge. <laughs> Beam me from my bed to the bridge. Well, and I mean, it explains why there aren't toilets on any of these these starships, right? They just beam it out of you, right out of your right out of your stomach, right out of your right out of your long intestine. Yeah, and so it, it never you never need to use a toilet because it's just transported out of you and into space, presumably. Mm -hmm. I'd only trust O'Brien to do that for me. Yeah, yeah, O'Brien, but not the one one eye O'Brien that we we saw in this episode. Uh, you mean uh, Falcon? Falcon. <laughs> such a such a great. I, I love I love when Star Trek does genre stuff. See, I. W you don't? Oh, okay, you don't. Tell me why. Why don't? What's wrong with genre in Star Trek? My my problem. Okay, so an episode like this is a perfect example. So it's an ensemble cast already, right? Like there are, there's a large cast in the show, and we need to we need to juggle a lot of balls and. And follow a lot of characters but not only do we have to do that here we also have to follow their their other genre cliche characters and so it ends up being like this there's a lot going on in an episode and and i i guess i i just find it i i get tired watching it you know Throughout this entire episode, I was wondering, I can't remember, do do all of the characters remember this stuff afterwards, or is it only Bashir and Garrick who remember it? And mm -hmm. because, like, if Sisko were to remember being Hippocrates Noah, or O'Brien were to remember being Falcon, that would kind of have some profound implications for their relationship yeah. with Bashir for the rest of the series. Well, not even that. They just have like a whole new experience of a life that this hologram program had <laughs> implanted in their brain. Uh, they don't, though. They don't have memories of it. I, I, I know. And that uh, that's one of the things yeah, where because they're, made me sad. Because on, only their body was in the holodeck <laughs> and their mind was in the main computer, remember? <laughs> oh, I, I remember. I remember. The Which I think has implications of its own. That their mind was living at computer speeds for a while, connected to, all, like, wouldn't they come out of that knowing everything about the, the system all of a sudden? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It was great. <laughs> transporter accidents, man. They, they can do anything. This doesn't even get into the really obvious transporter problem of every time you step in, you die and are reconstituted elsewhere. <laughs> well, that's only a problem if you make it a problem. <laughs> 
Hey, man. Philosophy major. Hey, man, I'm never, <laughs> ever stepping into a transporter under any condition. Okay. It would. I'll, noted. <laughs> but yeah, so like genre in Star Trek, I love the, I love it, though, because the, the thing with Star Trek uh, is that it can very easily feel like every episode is the same episode, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, DS9 is one of the rare exceptions where it doesn't necessarily feel that way because it's more of like a soap opera but it still has like you know a, a tone that it that it hits uh but like tng it's like how many more planets can they land on and meet aliens or how many more things can go wrong on the ship that the anomalies that they encounter you know like there's only so many <laughs> storylines they hit and so well, a holodeck genre story is like to me it's a christmas episode which is the phrase i use all the time uh when expl- describing like the episode that's just for fun that has no implication on any larger story it's a Christmas episode. It's just a fun episode. And genre episodes in Star Trek are those to me, where it's like, ah, oh, I don't have to, I can watch this out of context and out of line with any of the other stories. And it's still, it's still fun just to watch. Like when Data was Sherlock Holmes. Yep. 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 Bash- uh, Bashir being James Bond. It's a, it's a classic, one of my faves. And an episode like this reminds me of classic TNG or, or the original series more than anything. I think you're right in that. Those were episodes of the week where you could do anything and everything gets reset to status quo. And it didn't matter what season you were watching. I couldn't remember if Bashir had revealed that or had learned, no, revealed his genetic heritage yet in this one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what season was this? This was four. This is four, and he does that in season five, as it turns out. I went and looked it up. But it did Yeah, because when does Voyager start? Because he doesn't do it till after Voyager's been on the air. Oh, see? Because we got the doctor from Voyager uh, as a guest star. See? Clever. See, you're clever. I just uh, I just didn't remember, and, and this was just completely out of context. And so it had that kind of fun, campy, original Trek series feel. I think you're right that mm. the genre episodes do that really effectively, as opposed to most of Deep Space Nine, which you can't really watch out of order because there are large season-wide plot arcs happening. And mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and, you know, the other great thing about the transporter, or not the, sorry, the holodeck genre concept, is that because it's a holodeck program, the, there's going to be a human in it that knows it's a program, right? <laughs> so Bashir in this case, but also it, it, we had Garrick in this episode, which was excellent to add commentary on Bashir's fantasies. So we had that wonderful sort of commenting on fantasy and uh, commenting on uh, people's, you know, uh, on, on James Bond stories, basically, mm-hmm. right? And like so... That meant that throughout the episode, they could make like ridiculous jokes, like naming uh, Dax's character Honey Bear, yeah. or or Mona loves it. Yeah, Mona loves it. Like these cla- like terrible puns that are worse than what James Bond actually does, but only slightly. <laughs> I mean, Octopussy was pretty on the nose. Yeah, um, yeah. Some of them can be bad. So like like it was so they they got they could just make those jokes and just like Bashir knows it's a game and he just plays along with the game you know uh, and Garrick can give that look huh she seemed very interested in you you know so like we have this commentary on the genre because there are real life people in it which allows us to have those like that ridiculous moment when Cisco is is uh, uses the word lasers too many times 
you know, <laughs> and it's just such a funny lasers, these lasers, these giant lasers. And it's like, yeah, that's that's a it's pretty James Bond. <laughs> but but I think the other part that you you hit on is the way that it's able to comment on the ridiculousness of kind of Star Trek as well in a way that that other episodes can't like this is an episode about Bashir, who is secretly a genetically engineered superhero and pretending to be a James Bond era spy, while Garrick, an actual Cardassian spy turned Federation sympathizer, watches and comments on the ridiculousness, not only of the genre tropes, but of Bashir's relationship to them. Yeah. And yeah. It ends up being this incredibly meta episode, similar to, you know, a lot of the ways that Data's uh, experiences in the holodeck and his attempts to have emotions are are commenting on the broader TNG universe. I think it, it allows them to do something that a regular episode almost never could. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's and that's what I love about genre and Star Trek. Yeah. I I, I, yeah. I I can see why you like it, and I can see the opportunities that it presents the uh, the writers to to do something interesting. Like, because when would the writers of a Star Trek episode be allowed to make a character called Doctor Noah, who's trying to flood the Earth and be the last person alive? <laughs> you know, and make like such a such an on the nose biblical reference. And get away with it because it's a holodeck program that they wrote, not an actual story that they wrote. Yeah. You know, like if we met a character, if, 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 a, if a character arrived on a starship called the Trojan Horse and out of it came a bunch of secret hidden soldiers that attacked the ship at night, you everyone would be like, Ugh, a little on the nose with the reference, you know, like, come, come on. Uh but because it's in a, if it was in a holodex program, then it's allowed to be to be so on the nose because it's a, a campy James Bond story. Uh, so I think it's fun for the writers. It's and you can like you can almost tell that it's fun for actors when they get to do this kind of show. You know, like like Cisco. I don't know if he ever had more fun than when he got to to play a crazy psychopathic uh, Doctor Noah. It's just like it's so much fun for them. It's so much fun for the writers, and it's so much fun for me as an audience member because I get to see. I get to see my these actors who I've watched play these specific characters play completely different characters for an episode. I get to see Kira's Kira Narice's uh, Russian accent, <laughs> and you get to see Dax play like a, a shy, nerdy character. You know, and and uh, watching O'Brien play a tough bully is uh, is always funny, and he turns the Irish accent up just a little bit, and. The the great thing about an episode like this is that a anyone can write it in that like it doesn't have to come from the main narrative, so it allows the it can allow the writers kind of a breather from thinking in a way, yeah. like they don't have to think about all the consequences and so forth. Like the only connection this had to the broader uh, Star Trek DS Nine universe was I think they casually mentioned that it was Cardassian terrorists. That blew up the ship. Oh yeah, that that uh, yeah, who who didn't uh, didn't approve of the peace treaty or something. Yeah, yeah. they they had never co- turned to violence before, and they did this one time, and blah blah blah. Like it's just and blah blah blah. Now let's have a fun episode. Yeah, like and it's it's super hand wavy in the way that 
technology is often hand wavy in in the show yeah well then the whole story of rom trying to fix everything with just like uh i need to you know uh, uh, get some adapters because my technology is not meant to interface blah, blah, blah. And it's like okay sure whatever yeah i just want to watch james bond yeah 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 and they do reference this episode again hey do they uh, later, later in the series, uh, for those of you who haven't, who, who only watches one episode, um, later in the series, uh, it's when Odo is having like woman problems, and he goes to see Bashir in the Hollow Suite and sits down in a limousine with him, and he's in the middle of a James Bond story, <laughs> and he starts asking him questions about it, and then the window rolls down, and O'Brien is there as Falcon. And he's like, I got you this time, Dr. Bashir. And so O'Brien's now plays this game with him. <laughs> and he plays Falcon, which is the character he was trapped in forever. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> uh, what I particularly like about this episode is that Arman Bashir isn't actually uh, a reference to James Bond. It's reference to Arman Flint, which is itself a parody action film of James Bond. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Harman Flint? No, I never watched it. And and what's the premise of it? A trio of mad scientists attempt to blackmail the world with web, a weather control machine. Well, it's like the same thing. Yeah, it's like the same thing. So, so in, in a lot of ways, they, they really didn't have to think with this episode. They're like, yeah, we're just going to have this overarching thing and, and then uh, thro- yeah. throw our characters into it. Yeah. And I mean... I mean, I don't know how you feel about spies and spycraft and spy stories, but I like it. Are you a spy story fan? I am, although I'm curious as to the overlap between James Bond nerds and Star Trek nerds. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's of the same kind of, like, like uh, maybe maybe the original series fans would also be James Bond fans because they're of, like, the same era. And same campiness. And then so people who've grown up with those two things will have watched all of the Star Treks leading up to present day and all of the James Bonds. Like, that is the the thing they have in common is that they're both from a very old era. And by that, of course, I mean, like, you know, the what, the 50s? (laughs) And have lasted to present day and gone through many changes and uh, different permutations. And are still changing and growing and are still moving forward and going to different things. Like there's a new Star Trek series coming out. I'm sure there are new James Bond movies in the works. And so like they do have quite a lot in common. So I wouldn't be surprised if the fan base does overlap a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I think about the Chris Pine Kirk character and he in some ways feels feels more like a Bond captain than he does a Picard or a Cisco or a Janeway. Yeah, he's a little sexy, a little cocky. Yeah, like, and and that's that's Kirk. I think you're right to point to the the earlier the William Shatner. Like William Shatner would have made a terrible Bond, but at the same time, he would have made a great Bond. <laughs> yeah, like if we had Sean Connery playing Bond and William Shatner playing Kirk in a scene together, they wouldn't seem that far apart. <laughs> like you'd feel like you're watching a scene that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're both a little bit over the top like that. But yeah, I mean, like, because James Bond, I'm not necessarily the hugest James Bond fan. Yeah. But anytime I watch a spy story, I'm always hooked on it, and I, I love the, the the games they play, and the I love the I love the fact that you can have the two people that are gonna kill each other, just having a normal conversation, 
you know, because they're gentlemen about it or something like that, you know, like when Bond and, and at, at the end, like, you know, when Bashir and Noah are talking, it's like, why doesn't he just shoot him then? He could have just killed him right then, push him out the window. But but they don't because that's not spy. You know, you talk and you you, you tell your whole story. And I, and I love that that element of spy stories. Yeah. Although in in this case, I think some of the spy stuff, it played it, it played a little strange for me because I know the characters of Kira Norris and I know the characters of Jitsia Dax and having them play, uh, for, for lack of a better phrase, like weak female characters, you know, mm, yeah. it, it, it was, it was very strange as, as Jitsia Dax and Kira are two very strong women. And in this, they were reduced to nothing more than the genre tropes. True. Yeah. As opposed to Bashir, who who got to play both the trope and himself, and and wasn't diminished through either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, spies aren't the greatest stories for women. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're really not. Yeah, and and, and but uh, back back to the the spy story sort of element, like the gadgets and stuff like that. Like when Nuri says earring, and he and he he knows that that means her earring's explosive and you know blows them up. Like those kind of things about spy stories, like the gadgets and the things. They I think they handled very well with the earring, and then also when he pulled the shoe apart and took a gun out of his shoe and like pieced it together and everything. Never referenced it, just put it together and then. Uh, and it wasn't until Garrick commented on like you're gonna take them down with that, and it was like that kind of thing was so fun and spy crafty that i just loved it yeah the the thing about genre stuff in star trek is it and i think ne- necessarily has to because of the nature of the kind of the sci-fi genre anyway but they really take seriously the genres that they are that they are taking up you know the the sherlock holmes episodes of of tng are sherlock holmesy same as the film noir ones you know this mm-hmm. is a spy it's a spy episode of the week, and it tries its best to wholly live within that, and and it allows them yeah. to do, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it and it does what the original series tried to do, but better, because like it with with the holodeck, it's all justified why it's a genre type thing, but in the original series, they'd have to like land on a planet that was that thing. Yeah. Right. Like there's an entire planet of Roman gods or something like that. And it's like, that's eh, a bit of a stretch. But if you <laughs> did a holodeck program where you got to play Roman gods, then you could do that and it would totally be justified. You know, and I think that that's that's the that's the great thing about holodeck. On top of that, it it makes stakes matter in such a more interesting way than than a usual, say, spy episode of something would like in this the the stakes of the holodeck are the world is going to get blown up or you know the whatever is yeah and and yet we know that that doesn't matter at all and so you know it it allows them to say well that's going to be the narrative but the stakes of this are the individual characters and 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 whether yeah. they live or die or whether they they make it out of the holodeck and so it allows the the kind of cool ending that subverts the entire genre of of a spy film yeah. while at the same time being so deeply indebted to it it's great 
And the great, like, the, the, what do you hang a hat on it moment or hang a lamp on it moment where Garrick's like, I guess the safeties are off. And like he just says it because they need to make it the stakes that if they do get shot, they actually die. Like, they have to raise stakes somehow because it's not real. So they do, and they did it wonderfully. Yeah. Hey, okay, so just before, because we're getting close to a wrap-up here, uh, what, what holodeck program would you want to play in? Oh, that is such a great question. If you could build a holodeck program or, like, you know, go to a holodeck suite. I mean, like, Bashir has so many, like, they, him and, him and O'Brien, it's like they're fun. That they go and they fight in wars on the losing side all the time, which I think is one of the funniest things ever, <laughs> um, that they always play the, 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 the overpowered force. Like, they play the Spartans and they, they play at the Alamo. They play the losing side. Like, it's just they always play the losing side, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, what would you do? Would you do a historical thing or would you do like a fantasy thing? Would you do a future thing? Like, I don't know. I mean, I want to give a better answer than this, but I'm going to go back to my teenage years where I spent more than a little bit of time uh, as part of a kind of an online role-playing group where we played some sort of uh, Star Trek-based flight simulator. and nice. And I would always uh, role-play as a helmsman who in the end like was willing to ram his ship against other ships if it meant saving the day and so like i would nobly sacrifice myself for the broader uh for the broader battle yeah. again and again so like realistically i would probably do that a ton <laughs> just mm-hmm. i would just be this crazy andorian helmsman who would just go into battle keep kamikaze. sacrificing himself to save the rest of his crew yeah, yeah. you'd be the noble sacrifice <laughs> again and again it'd be great how about you that's cool oh man there's so many i would play so many different games like uh, i would go everywhere I like I'd be a ninja for sometimes because it'd be kind of fun to be like a ninja in like a ninja fight or something like that. I'd love to do some film noir stuff and be like a detective, like on a, on a mystery. I think mysteries would be it would be really fun to do. I mean, the funny thing is like if if there was a holodeck today, I would holodeck a, a science fiction future. Yeah, which is kind of there's a weird irony in there. <laughs> that I'd be living in a science fiction future if I had a holodeck, but that's the kind of thing I would want to. To, to role play i think the most like so like on a starship you know like actually role play star trek but yeah, i'd need a holodeck to do it uh so i think that's what i would do if unless we were already there in which case i don't know I'd, maybe i just role play being like 2017 or something <laughs> just you know a regular day shopping at your local save on mm-hmm. yeah cool man okay well uh computer and a program Next one-off, Friends, Season 3, Episode 2, The One Where No One's Ready.